This episode of Black Equity Podcast is brought to you by Sip and Share Wines. Head over to SipAndShareWines.com to learn more. Black Equity Network, Black Equity Podcast, all the listeners around the world, from Chicago, from Detroit, Miami, Charlotte, Atlanta, Sacramento, from everywhere that you are, welcome to this episode of Black Equity Podcast. On this episode, we're going to get to dive into what everybody's favorite topic is, real estate. I've looked left and I've looked right all over social media and everybody is an expert at real estate. And so I want to take a step back and talk to someone who's actually in the trenches and really doing real deals on an international scale so then we can get the truth once and for all. Welcome to Black Equity Podcast. All right, Black Equity listeners, we have a great episode for you. I have John Watley on the line. John, are you there? Uh, yes, here. Uh, pleasure to be with you today. Yes, thank you for coming on Black Equity. I'm excited for you to be here. Uh, you are an entrepreneur. You are a business owner. Tell us a little bit about your company and uh, the mission and vision for your company. All right. So uh, our company, Dream House Co-Living, provides uh, co-living and co-working spaces. Our t- mission overall is to make the world a home. This is through affordable, uh, reliable uh, space. Um, also, through uh, co-working means that it allows people to work, live, and play all in one uh, setting um, or any combination of those three items. Uh, we also offer Dream Ventures, which is a private equity firm that's focused on helping people who are in certain neighborhoods stay in these neighborhoods, for one. For two, allowing our members to invest directly into Dream House. So they own a portion of the properties that we are developing and a portion of their own uh, pro- neighbor's projects if that comes up. So, uh, for example, if a startup is within our uh, community who has an idea and the community wants to back them, we put them on our platform and allows the, our community and outsiders that are friends of DreamHouse to invest in these uh, projects and allow them to get that capital they need to move forward with their ideas. I like this. I like this. As an investor myself, it's very intriguing. So before ah. we dive into investing, how did you get into this space? How did how how did this become uh, a passion of yours? Ah, so it's a bit of a story, actually. Uh, okay. So out of college, I went to Morehouse um, for my undergrad. After leaving, I uh, started a startup with a few friends. And uh, while working at Atlanta Tech Village, we saw some of the coders there would sleep on the floor or uh, in sleeping bags and whatnot. So we decided to rent them out some cots uh, and some, you know, just basically uh, some sleeping pallets they could use during the night instead of having them uh, sleep on the floor. While doing that, someone recommended that we do an apartment. But at the time, you know, a bunch of college guys, we were trying to like struggle to pay our own rent. <laughs> so we right. weren't too happy about getting an apartment just then. Uh, happened a few months after this, uh, after we started doing this uh, process, I ended up moving to the UK for a while and had a hard time finding very reliable 
uh, living solutions there um, and really couldn't find a flat that offered uh, a nice apartment room without having four or five other roommates uh, right. for the zone one, zone two area, which is like the city central uh, area. Uh, moved to Berlin uh, with a friend um, a few months, when, I'm sorry, about a year after moving to the UK. Was there for a bit, had a similar scenario with uh, renting problems from uh, just there's a lot of scammers there. One of the uh, scams to try to run is a Western Union. You know, I'm out of the country mm. right now. Saving some money. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I know that scam very well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you run into that enough times, you're like, well, you know, you never actually do it because you're hopefully you're too smart for it. But uh, right. see it enough times, you don't do it. You say, well, have something has to give. There has to be a, a better living solution. And it reminded me of what I was doing before. Uh, back in Atlanta. So I grabbed some friends um, out in the UK. We came up with this concept of dream house and came back home and, you know, we tried to get it on the ground and, you know, bring it to where it is today. Awesome. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. I love it. I love it. So someone's listening to this right now. They're they're hearing co-living. They're hearing uh, a, a living space. They're hearing opportunities to invest. So these are some really cool key uh, buzzwords but so what is co-living how does that differ from what other people are doing out there in the real estate world how do you how how are you any different than any anyone else out there right so co-living offers this ideal of i guess community space within uh shared uh micro spaces or shared uh marginalist spaces that have been divided up a bit easier on the landlord property owner developer side where uh, you give you give kind of less square feet in terms of like your own personal living space, but more amenities in terms of access to common space, uh, different services that can be rendered within the space itself um, through technology or through service providers. Um, most places you interact with will, Offer very similar to a co-working configuration, which most people at this point would be fairly familiar with, but I'll still go over uh, what they offer. It's uh, one monthly rent um, bill for pretty much anything you can think of in the building itself. So all your utilities are covered. Any uh, electricity, oil, uh, what's, it, what's it called? Um, how you say? Uh, water. Uh, gas. Disposal, gas. All your... Uh, all your typical utilities you would pay within an apartment or or in a uh, a house of your own or a house you're renting from a landlord, you, you have one bill in our spaces. Also, they're fully furnished. They have, like I said, services. So it's one push-on-demand uh, utility um, inspections as we need them. So maintenance requests can be done quite easily. Uh, you can check in and check out of these locations quite easily as well, meaning you can end your lease or move your lease to a separate building uh, fairly easily. And uh, yeah, a bit of community and event um, calendars. Those are quite popular in most spaces you run into. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, So if I'm in this co-living space, how many people can I expect to technically be living with, or I guess be sharing the common areas with? So the buildings typically fit about 50 people and it really depends on how you configure them uh how many people you share with you could share from anything from five people on one floor having their own micro unit uh which gives them a bit of privacy kitchen bathroom 
configuration with their own living, like micro living room and bedroom, of course. You know, access to main floor gardens, that's main floor, common areas, washrooms, that sort of thing for the clothes. Uh, so that can be a, about 10 people each floor, depending on how high you want to build. Um, mm -hmm. But if the building's configured for 50, uh, I'd imagine five to 10 people on each floor. Uh, so on the investment side, if I'm an investor, um, mm -hmm. it, are, are we taking old buildings and con uh, converting them to these co-living spaces? Or are we building this as a new build? Or is it a mixture of both, uh, depending on the project? Uh, it's quite a mixture of both, depending on the project and the market. Um, if we run into a building that, you know, is perfect in a certain neighborhood, it has this feeling, it has this uh, feeling and look of, say, New Orleans Square or something like this. Uh, yeah, we're going to go with that old building. But if we run into a neighborhood that, you know, desperately needs this community, and we would be a great spot for folks in all the loose loose uh creativity and loose culture that area may have and we just know this is going to be good for our network uh we pop a building down there um then we can do a ground development if the numbers support it of course so would you say that one of the problems that you're solving the root problem is creating uh, affordable housing uh for individuals out there is that kind of the, the root or is there is there something i'm missing that may be more of the the root problem that you're solving as a company sure oh, sorry could you sure. repeat that um so would you say yes, that uh, the, the root problem that you're solving is affordability and having affordable housing or is there a, a root problem that you're solving that maybe i'm missing Uh, so I think affordable housing okay. and affordability is a consequence of us doing this. I wouldn't say this is that's necessarily uh, our primary focus or the only market we're trying to you know solve, but it's, some, it's a solution that happens, um, and we're happy that it does. But uh, typically what we're trying to provide is this, at least the loose idea of work-life balance as we allow people to live and work within our spaces. So... Uh, where most models you see in configuration-wise, co-working is either 100% of the building's usage with maybe a nap room or two, uh, or it's co-living, which is just 100% of the usage and really no room for workspace. Or if it is workspace, it's just in the main lobby. It's not like an actual functioning co-working space. We're offering the, the combination of both these items in one building uh, in the hopes that uh, service apartment providers as well as... Uh, corporate tenants will feel just as much at home in our spaces anywhere they are as they do at their traditional uh, Westin or Ritz or uh, any of the other luxury brands. Uh, I love consultants it. I love it. So you're really combining two different worlds together and solving two problems at once. Yes. Uh, in a lot of ways we are uh, yeah, trying to combine two different worlds, uh, I would say it's yeah. to some degree successfully adding to it a bit of community that, you know, makes people forget that they're supposed to be doing one or the other. It makes them just feel like they're part of a bit of a neighborhood that's I love global. it. So where, where are our, some of these our... projects that you've uh, worked on in the past? And looking forward, what are some of the projects that uh, that you'll, you'll be working on in, in the future? What cities 
and what areas are we, are we looking at? So in the past, we've mainly focused on the Atlanta market and the rest of the Southeast, uh, but primarily in Atlanta. Uh, what we're doing now is we're expanding to Lafayette, uh, Louisiana, Shreveport, uh, Louisiana as well, New Orleans. Of course, that was like one of our first projects outside of Atlanta that we looked at was New Orleans. Uh, from there, we're looking at Memphis, Tampa, uh, the Bronx in New York. Um, those are all in our pipelines at the moment. We have 30 units in uh, London that should be coming about in the next week or two. Um, we're going to be onboarding those and placing those to the public. Uh, and a pipeline across the north of London as well. I'm sorry, north of England as well uh, to provide these uh, co-living configurations and co-working configurations. We're softly looking at Austria and Rome uh, as two other markets in Bahrain and Dubai as some potential as long as as well as uh, Hong Kong as potential markets we may enter in I love it. within the I next love year it. or two. Go, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. So we're Oh no worries, mate. Uh we're just we're we're taking the model that Oyo has done really well for itself over the last three years and combining combining it with a bit of what we work really may have been had they owned the properties they were going into and uh, kind of do a sane growth strategy with our partners and with uh, other developers we know that have a strong pipeline themselves in their own right. Um, just combining those two together and saying, where can we build these things to connect everyone? How can we have a like positive effect? Nice. On we so uh, if an investor is listening to this, which most of our listeners are uh, with an investment mindset, uh, how do they work with you? What is the process? What 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 are the steps uh, to be part of these projects? Because I'm sure once they've worked with you on one project, they're going to want to work on the next project and the next project. So what does that process look like? So we have two different ways. Uh, one's for accredited investors that are real estate focused, um, primarily developer uh, inclined. If that's the case and you're say you own a dilapidated building that can fit uh let's say a uh, hundred units or so for this co living uh um charismatic or uh co and even including co working as well uh we can reach out to us directly through our website at stagedreamhouse dot com and we'll onboard you with our head of development ryan thomas uh in terms of our unaccredited investors people who are in the community want to be involved in dream house or see some value that we could bring to your neighborhood directly or just happen to have a house you're trying to put on rent um you think it could be a good service apartment or service location we call these satellites uh here at dream house what we would do with you is ask you to go to either our campaign on the dreamventures.co uh, website uh what you'll see there is a campaign that we're partnered with buy back the block uh to basically enable everyone to invest as little as $100 to revitalize certain neighborhoods around the Atlanta area for right now. Um, we may be changing this from focusing just on the Atlanta area to do something a bit more national because we've had a, a good deal of interest in that or opening a second fund. We haven't really decided which direction to go with that uh, at the moment. But uh, in any case, you can invest $100 in whatever locations come up for us. Uh, we would 
send out a newsletter and let you know this is what we're investing in. Currently, we're looking at an East Point project uh, that would be kind of a beacon for the downtown East Point market. Uh, first for them, quite honestly, um, a co-working, co-living uh, combination there as well. Uh, we call it Dream of Hope. Uh, that's one of our first projects that we would we will be investing in from the fund. Um, and we have others like it, be it small homes or co-living, co-working spaces within certain markets around Atlanta or Southeast. Dope, dope. So I got my sip and share wine in the mail. This is the abundance number seven. This is sweet red wine, semi-sweet, medium bodied, fruity with purple color and aromas of citrus with flavors of juicy blood orange, ripe peach, blend with crisp apple undertones, compliments desserts, mild cheeses, spicy cuisine, fresh fruit and nuts. Let's take our first sip of abundance. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Stop by Sip and Share Wines. Head over there now. The abundance is on point. This is exactly the type of wine that I enjoy. The sweet red wine. Back to the show. How does what's going on in the news? I know it's not directly related to you, but maybe it is. Maybe you can help me understand. How does what's going on in the world with a company like WeWork, I believe it's called, how does that impact uh, some of the ways that you're moving, even though it's technically not all the way what you're doing, but there are some similarities. Is there any uh, things that are going on with that company that uh, either alarms you or allows you to uh, recalibrate and focus on a particular uh, action item? Uh, to be quite honest, I, we don't really put too much mind towards what WeWork um, is doing. Uh, one, they're, they're quite a large competitor. The writing was on the wall quite early on with uh, some of the issues they were having or what they may have had in the future. And one way we kind of planned to answer for that was to yes. own a lot of the buildings we were going into, be it through a partnership with the community or uh, just through uh, equity deal that we've worked out with our, uh, I guess, investors and uh, lenders. So that's one way we try to avoid some of their headaches. Uh, we are still focused on similar markets as them. Um, Dubai is one, Hong Kong is another that they uh, operate in. and They're quite well known in both. Um, but I, I don't see why we couldn't enter these markets as a co-living yeah. provider with a hybrid model. Uh, something that I think they were reaching to do um, a bit more down the line, but it got distracted by such steep competition within the co-working uh, market. So they couldn't actually get to it, but I, can't, I don't see a reason why our hybrid model wouldn't serve as a, a better uh, product over time um, than just the co-working, which is pretty easy, low entry um, to market uh, type of uh, offering by itself. I will say we we did roll back on producing uh, strictly co, co-working spaces for a little bit. One of our plans were to make dream hubs as just standalone locations. We're 
there is some interest in other markets for us, you know, revisiting this. But for the time being, I think we may just focus on our hybrid uh, models and uh, just do that for a bit. Get these, get the pipeline a bit clearer, and then get back to the nice. Stuff. And, and one of the things that that you said earlier was about you know the people in those communities having the opportunity to to uh, invest and be in part of your projects. Why is that important for you? Hi, sorry. Uh, the very end of sure. it went out. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned uh, before is that people being people from that community uh, being a part of investing or being a part of your projects. So why is that important for you? Uh, so as an Atlanta native, um, or really a Decatur native, I want to make that distinction. I understand. As a Decatur native, um, you kind of see your neighborhood, especially the downtown area change. And you see some people get displaced or kind of wide eyed when they see the big change because they've been away for so long or you're live in downtown and you see people who make comments about all the development pushing them out or watching their uh, taxes go up 400 percent or something there's no upside for them really but there's all these huge developments happening all around them they feel like you know their world is being rocked and where are they going to go clayton county or some you know some other part of atlanta that uh they're not really familiar with but you know, that's where they can afford. Uh, all these projects are supposed to be, some of them anyway, are, are meant to be affordable in some some right, but the people who are living there currently aren't, aren't going to be. Uh, we don't feel like that makes a lot of sense for us building a community uh, or helping people, you know, feel like they're at home everywhere they go. If we're going in neighborhoods and displacing the neighbors that are going to be there, then uh, at that point, are we kind of, antagonistic mm-hmm. or a villain somewhere. Right. not intentionally but um nonetheless that's why we want to be proactive around what we're building out and what we're offering to the public and say uh yeah we may be coming in we may be bringing in a different product that you guys like just aren't used to is more high-end than what you may want but we're also going to work with you to try to keep as many as we can in this neighborhood to be a part of this to hire from within this neighborhood to be a part of this, uh, to make this community and give this authentic feeling to whatever neighborhood we enter. That's a uh, pretty big deal. For so us. How, how, what is one of the strategies of doing that? How do we, uh, even if someone isn't necessarily working with your projects, just on a, on a macro scale, what are some of the strategies to making sure that we don't become as investors, you know, that vulture or that villain, you know, how do we make sure that we are doing everything possible to keep people in the community. Well, that's yeah. a bit hard. I think without mobilization of a community towards this uh, effort, it's quite hard to do it as individuals. One way individuals can do this is when working with wholesalers, making sure that wholesaler understands who, who they're selling to as the, yeah. I guess, the purchaser or the end buyer, just like, where they're from, what their background is, and what they plan to do with this building. Like, there's some responsibility there that sometimes I think people skip over a bit. Um, but mobilization of the community and getting friends involved and making sure that your neighbors know, uh, I guess, value or how what their actual rights are, what reasons they may have to actually stay, and has have a bit of a plan. So when the developer comes to your house and offers you sixty thousand. Uh, let them know, like, we probably have a plan of where you're going to go next, 60000 
like have like a stratagem for where you where the six thousand will take you or what it does actually for you. But uh, not that developers are all villains. I was of course I don't want to paint that picture, but that's what some of the yeah. public feel. So. No, I understand. <laughs> and, you know, I recently that's been a conversation with wholesalers is this act of or this ask of, hey, have some responsibility, especially if you're of the culture. And when I say of the culture, I mean black culture. And you're in these areas that are predominantly of of black or of other descents other than white. You are coming in as a wholesaler. And you're getting these really great deals and then you're turning around and you're selling the contract for next to nothing to people that don't look like you, don't represent that community, have no care whatsoever. Also, you can run around and say you made a quick five or ten thousand dollars. At some point, there has to be a responsibility. I guess not have to be. You can do whatever you want. But if you say you love these people and you care about these people, you can still make that same five or ten thousand dollars or whatever it is. Uh, and find a company like yours that is going to be uh, proactive in trying to make sure that we're preserving uh, what many have fought and died for. Exactly, yeah. Uh, I mean, these neighborhoods have a bit of history, um, like real stories that uh, you would think the grandkids and the great-grandkids that live here or around here would be the living history or embodiment of this. Sometimes that is difficult to see or to really appreciate because of the upkeep um, based off like, you know, socioeconomic trends that have happened to not just the black community, but America right. at, at large, like deterioration of cities are, uh, it's kind of, wouldn't say a phenomenon, but it's, uh, I can't tell if it's always orchestrated or if it's unplanned. There's, there's some argument that there is some planning behind this uh, deterioration of cities so they can be replaced with newer and nicer things every like 10 years or so but um that's that's a fringe on the conspiracy so i won't like to go too deeply into that but yeah just uh you think there would there would be some more value in terms of like who's actually living there and who's who these people are but i think there is some disconnect between what our histories are and what those valuable what the space what these neighborhoods uh hold in value for you know our culture as a, as a at large um I, I think to a degree uh, because we've kind of lost those narratives or those narratives aren't always in our faces as much as they maybe once were. We It's, hard, it's kind of hard to appreciate the history as much as uh, as we may want to or need to, uh, to actually have that mobilized change for everyone at large, do you think, which is okay. Do you think Just, attending an HBCU, being at Morehouse, how big of a, a impact did that have on your psychology as a black man in America, uh, or just on Earth, uh, how big of uh, impact did that have on you going to Morehouse? Uh, so that's hard to say. Um, okay. I went to a black high school, uh, South okay. Pacific High School, which I'll shout Panthers <laughs> out. But uh, so I, I went there, and um, that like had a huge, for me, had a huge bearing in shaping like my identity or my understanding of what it means to be black and my understanding of what it means to actually be a part of a community and fight for that community and kind of push a community forward. Um, all, all those who did that got in uh, high school a bit. And then when I went to Morehouse, they were a bit more ingrained. I got to meet a more variety of people from around the world in terms of uh, just what different kinds of blackness might be. 
Um, so both had like a, I guess, a profound, a profound uh, uh, effect on me long term. Um, Morehouse may have helped me a bit with like, I guess, becoming more of a man. And, you know, those are their adult forming years for sure. So and those are some friendships like wouldn't trade for the world. But I'll say my like idea of blackness was really, really formed like undergrad, like not undergrad, but like during high school. And those, uh, well, what uh, was the key thing years. during high school? Because, see, I went to a predominantly uh, white high school. And so I didn't have the experience of going to a predominantly black high school. So what I know you can't tell me the difference because you, you weren't at both. But uh, what did yeah. you learn there? Uh, what type of subject matters? What type of books came across your your desk, or what kind of conversations were happening? Uh, so for me, I, I see, I see. Uh, so for us there, um, for instance, uh, we had a lot. Of, I think our school, more than a lot of other schools, possibly in Georgia, had a mm. great number of black uh, educators there that were like quite involved in most of the students' lives. First, like knew everybody by their first names, uh, talked to you, talked to your parents, and kind of told you how to get through life, different stages or different like troubles you would have. You really just talked to them. And that's that mentorship item was a huge help, uh, help by itself there. Uh, additionally, they didn't like brush over Black History Month. Um, and it wasn't like a Black History Month. It was, you know, every lesson we had for the most part had some kind of, a message to us, not just that you know you're black and you're within the world, but you're black within you're you're also within the world, and you can change the world as you want it to be if you work towards like your goals. There's no such thing as a lofty goal; you can achieve it if you work quite well for it. So it gives you a bit of ambition. To say uh, we have black leaders. You have this message of like like not just black empowerment, but empowerment at large that you can change the world because you are uh, just as valuable as anyone else. Um, yeah, that's like big. Those two ideas by themselves, you know, that's you a lot. Um, then this idea of if you don't like something, go out and change it, and you know they preach that to us quite a bit. So going out and like making change that you wanted to see was something that not just me, but I have a few other uh, high school classmates. I'm sure that have went out and made their own like strides. So when uh, no, uh, two things come up when, when we're having this conversation about the Atlanta area. I'll say it that way. Um, I, I'm thinking of Killer Mike, you know, on stage a few weeks ago, talking about uh, killing your masters. And then I'm also thinking about, uh, I believe his name is Robert Smith, black billionaire, uh, offering and saying, hey, I'm going to pay over $36 million for this graduating class, all their student loan debt. Uh, if you are if you are aware of either one uh, of those subject matters, I would love for you to touch on uh, what your thoughts on are on either one of those or both. Uh, so I don't really know much about Killer Mike, unfortunately. Um, I couldn't really uh, comment on killing your mm-hmm. slave masters. It's an interesting idea. Though. He said uh, just this just for reference. He said that God, people thinking I'm making this up. He said that during the revolt conference that was put on by uh, P. Diddy. This is about two weeks ago. It's on YouTube. You can Google Killer Mike uh, revolt conference. On the panel was Tamika Mallory, uh, Candace Owens, T.I., 
uh, and then one other person. So anybody listening, you can go listen to that on YouTube. But go ahead. You're going to speak about the Robert Smith. Oh, Robert Smith paying off the student loans of uh, yes. at this last graduating class from Morehouse. Um, I think it's the last one. Uh, yeah, that was that was brilliant. Yeah, it's like what if uh, what if giving guy, you know? Um, I, I'm I'm really wondering why more you know millionaires haven't like seen this and thought, well, maybe I should pay off a class or two, uh, for the house, you know, go over 2014, get us out. That would be nice. That'd be nice of you, but uh. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that was like that was incredible of him, and I, I think it shows a giving spirit uh, that, as a community, we all could have. Like, it doesn't have to just be one individual that you know does that. He's quite well off, so it's uh, understandable that he you know can do this and is uh, a piss in the wind for him, right? But uh, for us, it's a bit more, you know, it's a bit heavier. So you do see other stories come out. I saw something about a I think yeah, it was a yeah, barber yeah. shop I that, see that too. To pay off student I also loans. saw. Slutty Vegan so, is paying down. Uh, you're you're aware of Slutty Vegan? Okay. Uh, yeah, I think they have something on. Yeah, they're, in the West they're, offering, I, they're partnering I they're with another working. entrepreneur as well, and they're paying down uh, student loan debt for X amount of students. So it, it's becoming a trend uh, for people who uh, want to yeah. give back. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think absolutely so. It, it should be. I, I mean, not to, I wouldn't say I'm an Elizabeth Warren supporter just yet, but uh, I think the idea of maybe getting rid of some student loans, um, some forgiveness program or something where we just toss them out, because uh, they were kind of predatory. We, we were like 18-year-olds, majority of us getting them, and not all of us knew what we wanted to do or what we were doing as we got them. So uh, it's, uh, it's, it's two sides to it, but to some degree, maybe we should just pay off the student loans uh, for the country itself, not just. Um, but if we can't do that, then individuals, I think, as we can as communities, should absolutely get rid of this burden that is probably going to be facing people for the rest of their, rest of their lives, if not, you know, or at least, you know, not count, count it against them. You know, if it's on credit reports and, you know, it's, it's impacting really everything that they're trying to do. Hey, okay, if you're not going to pay it off, which, hey, if you do, great. But then it should, it should sit over to the corner here and it shouldn't be uh, counted against you because you went out and got an education or you'll be, you know, dealing with that, like you said, for the rest of your life and never really, you know, focusing on, you know, your highest and best usage. Uh, just, you know, my opinion. Oh, no, I agree. Uh, I think in a way what we're encouraging is, we haven't gotten to a brain drain of the United States just yet, but we are definitely draining some of our larger, uh, more powerful cities like New York and LA, San Francisco. People are flying to Texas and to Atlanta for even um, just to, you know, escape the taxes there. And uh, I think we have a very educated populace at this point, but not a lot of, not a lot of jobs or not a lot of well-paying jobs, quite stagnant in terms of the uh, payroll for a lot of these jobs. So it's uh, a bit scary to think um, what we might be in 30 years of trends continue. Everybody's talking about real estate. Everybody's saying, do it this way and do it that way. This is the only person I'm hearing saying, hey, we can do it in an innovative way. We can do it a little bit differently. 
And so I'm inviting everyone to join us on the next episode as we continue diving deeper into this topic. And if you're already interested, I want you to go to our show notes. I want you to visit the website and start browsing around and seeing if this is something that interests you. If it's not, put it down. If it's something that is interesting to you, pick it up. I'll see you next time here on Black Equity Podcast.